Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 86, of Jonathan Nado, recorded March 10th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. It took every ounce of my concentration not to say March 3rd, which is what it says, 10RD instead of 10th, because the last one was March 3rd, and I was in my anchorman mode, and it, was, it took everything I had not to say that. I just And I couldn't just let it go because March turd <laughs> is too funny. <laughs> so this week we have our regular uh, hosts, panel of hosts with you, plus a special guest host. And we shall introduce those people now, beginning with the great one, the command line godfather, Mr. Christopher Neves. Hiya, Chris. Hey, hey. Doing good tonight, guys. Other than, you know, no internet again at my house. Yeah, and I think your camera just froze up, too. Mm, I don't think oh, so. Oh, there it goes. Okay. And as always, the counterpoint, the balance to his uh, left-wing nuttiness, the right-wing nuttiness, I don't know. The gooey kid, <laughs> Mr. Seth Anderson. Hiya, Seth. Hey, Mark, and hello, Linux-loving world at large. The problem with this show is we only have right wings. We don't have right. any left wings. So um, we end up going in a big circle, that's I guess. Right. <laughs> And the uh, aforementioned guest host, uh, a uh, podcast enthusiast, and nay, shall we say, podcast professional himself, Mr. Jonathan Nado. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Good to have yeah, you yeah, here. Yeah, sounds good. Jonathan is here to talk to us about a number of things, beginning with the Northeast Linux Fest, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, first off, I, I want I have a, a bit of an apology and an explanation regarding last week's show. Uh, Seth's audio was all over the place last week. It sounded like he was clairvoyant, because sometimes he would answer questions before they were asked. It was really awesome. And then sometimes we'd all be sitting around waiting for him to say something. And Chris and I would laugh at a joke he hadn't yet told, because we were clairvoyant then. Um, and let me just explain. I didn't know that until after I was listening back to the show after I'd published it. Uh, the way we do this is we record uh, live using Skype, and Chris and Seth uh, record locally uh, using Audacity. They send me their files, and I mix it down. And the way I do that is I use Skype as the timing track. Anybody who's ever done any digital recording knows that if you're going to mix sources from different uh, uh, locations, from different devices, you need a timing track so that they all line up. Well, I use the Skype as the lining track. I overlay Seth's local recording over Seth's Skype recording. I match them up so that they're at exactly the same time. Then I delete the Skype recording, and boom, there you go. I do the same thing with Chris. It works out really well. Except Skype tends to expand and compress time based on bandwidth. And uh, so what will happen is uh, if Skype is having trouble getting through, it'll delay packets and slow things down. And then the next time there's a large chunk of silence, it'll just drop things out and try to catch up using its own typing mechanism. Well, apparently, um, Seth's bandwidth was kind of up and down, as it always is, but more so than usual last week. So his timing was all over the place. So I lined up one section, and others were off. And then they'd come back into alignment, and then they'd go back out of alignment. So there you go. That's my explanation for why Seth sounded uh, both drunk and super smart last week, alternately. <laughs> Uh, and hopefully that won't happen again, but I can't promise you because, again, I would have to listen to every minute of every hour and a half show that we do, and I know some people do that. I'm looking at you, Mike Smith of the Mike Tech Show. You're an animal 
he listens to every show sometimes two or three times during the editing process. I don't love you that much, folks. I just throw it together, say that looks good, and then publish it. Um, so anyway, now, there's if it my was explanation. Being paid for, then it might be a different story. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's part of the charm of everyday Linux as well. So you know, come on, guys. You really wouldn't want a show to go off without a hitch all the time, every time. Where would the fun in that be? We like to keep a natural raw flavor to the show whenever possible. Usually. Not really. That's just, we're cheap, and the way we do it is raw. <laughs> and we need to point out that it's in no way connected to the WWE Raw event. It is just uh, using raw in its generic term. I really don't think we needed to point that out, but thanks. I appreciate that. Well, just yeah. for any lawyer who was listening, I wanted to make that clear. Yeah, and just like I don't think anybody was confusing bikini-clad wrestlers, I'm talking about the men, uh, uh, with uh, tree huggers in terms of the WWF. I don't really think, think they needed to file that lawsuit and make that distinction and make them change to the WWE, but hey, you know, more power to them. Yeah, you're already paying the attorneys. You might as well get some work That's right. out of them. They're on retainer. So, they are being paid. You might as well make them. Write a memo. Do something. Um, get a lawsuit. Come <laughs> on. Put us put our name out there. Uh, all right. So in the first bit of fluff for the night, the Star Wars trace route. I don't know what it is, but it sure sounds cool. Um, I came across this uh, online when I was perusing the whole interwebs for our show, and somebody... With a couple of uh, VLAN and virtual routers, he created a trace route. Uh, you know how in Star Wars it comes out, starts out Episode Four, A New Hope. It is a period of civil war, and you know that scroller that goes across the screen. Right. Well, he basically did that in a trace route, and we'll throw the link in the show notes just so you can see it. But you know, uh, <laughs> it. it, it like the the first hop is episode four with its IP address. The next hop <laughs> is a new hope with its IP address. Then it is a period of civil war all the way down. Ends with the uh, freedom to the galaxy <laughs> at the very end. So you got to be super geeky to get that. But yeah, hop hop three is it dot is dot a dot period dot of dot civil dot war. And the ping time, by the way, was 67 milliseconds. Uh, and then the next one is rebel.spaceships. And the next one is striking.from.a.hidden.base. That's, that is both <laughs> awesome and tragic all at the same time. And and no I, figured there, I figured there would be a large overlap between our listeners and geeks in general and Star Wars fans. So I thought, I thought uh, it was just, you know, I was like, Wow, I, I can't believe somebody actually thought of it, and now it's like, I can't believe it took this long for somebody to think See, of not it. only did he do the whole text, but using ASCII art, he did the Corellian crew, uh, battleship <laughs> flying in. So you actually see that in ASCII art, um, and then he actually puts some credits in there. So that's perfect. That, <laughs> that, that's, that's dedication to the cause, or... Not enough beer on hand, or too much beer on hand. I don't. I don't know. Or both. Yeah. Or you know, maybe he just doesn't have a girlfriend. So. Well, it began with he was bored with during a blizzard, so he didn't have anything else to do. Um. But anyway, uh, jumping into a little bit of listener feedback this week, uh, a fellow named Paul wrote in, and uh, I'm, I assume he was talking to Seth. He didn't really say specifically, but based on the content of last week's show, I'm going to say he was. And he wrote, quote, I don't know your weight, but the quickest way to damage your knees is to pound them while jogging. The problem is amplified by your weight. You might consider power walking 
for the run and delay jogging until you're closer to ideal. Feel free, as I'm sure you do, to disregard. Good luck. <laughs> well, and I wanted to just say, Paul, I do thank you for your concern. And I don't think that um, my jo- I started out like my first time was two minutes and 45 seconds. So uh, and I felt like I was having a heart attack the rest of the night. So I'm ramping up and I did 10 minutes on Friday. So I jog three times a week. Um, and other than that, it's just walking. So, I mean, yeah, I'm a little concerned about my knees, but I figure a short period of jogging to help me lose weight is better than the long-term effect of walking around with all this weight. Right. So, and just, if you're curious about my weight, uh, I am at okay, 330 pounds. So I'm under the sixth of a ton, which is what I wanted to get to <laughs> before I started jogging. And uh, the uh, one-time co-host of the show, Aaron, the former fat guy butler, uh, four days from the release of the show on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, will be running in the Georgia Publix Marathon. He's going to run his first marathon, and um, he is he is encouraging people uh, to go to our voicemail hotline, 559-IMOP, and record a note of encouragement to him and uh, let him know... Uh, you know what I'm doing. He's asked me to create a playlist, so I've got some some music and uh, some podcasts and some things that I've put together uh, that he'll load onto his MP3 player. He doesn't. He knows what some of it is, but not all of it. And also interspersed with that, I'm putting um, clips of these voicemails that people have sent from him. So if you'd like to be a part of that. Just call 559-IMOP anywhere in the continental United States and just record him a quick message and say, you know, because um, he's going to be hearing that while he's running. So he may be mile at, at mile 18 of 26, uh, you know, or mile 24, longer than he's ever run in his life, feeling dog tired with his feet blistered and his, his calves hurting. And he's going to need some people to, 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 you know, pat him on the back and say, keep going. So uh, we encourage you to do that. You know, Aaron was on this show for over a year. He was a, a friend and a brother to us all. So uh, we encourage you to do that. Just go uh, um, right there from the leave us a voicemail widget on our webpage at Element OP or, uh, or uh, call the number. You got to be quick, though. Because this show will come out on Wednesday, and he's running on Sunday. I'm going to give him the um, playlist on Friday or Saturday. So don't delay. Make it happen right away uh, so that I can put your encouragement in the show. I would appreciate it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. If I were I running a marathon, I would need more than encouragement. I would need a man in a in a human face leather mask and a chainsaw chasing me. That's the only way <laughs> I'm going to make a marathon distance. And he better yeah, be slow. And he better have enough gas, because once that chainsaw dies, <laughs> I'm stopping. <laughs> no, that's when he breaks up the big knife. Yeah. Um, so, uh, getting paid with Fireball. What's that all about? Yes. Um, not too long ago, it was my birthday, for those that didn't know. But uh, I went out, and I'm normally not a big drinker. so, But I do like my bourbons. And... Uh, so someone brought me a glass of Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey and said, here, try this. And it was like my favorite drink of the night. So I was like, ah, I think I'm going I'm to go buy myself a bottle. Well, I did some work for a friend of mine, and she's a Fireball drinker as well. So she goes, hey, instead of paying for your the work that I, you did for me, have a bottle. And brought me a bottle of Fireball. And you drank That's- it all in one sitting. No, hell no, no. That would I wouldn't be here right now if I did that. 
but it, I thought it was a cool thing, you know, and it, it's it's one of those things, if you have friends that do tech work, find out what they like, and you could probably get some free work out of them. Yeah, you can cert- that's certainly good advice for anybody. Your, your tech guy at work, find out his, famous, his favorite Scooby snack and keep plenty of those on hand, and it will be a good thing. <laughs> Yes, you will get lots of work, and you'll you'll also get put on the the top of the list for when you break something. He'll come first to yes. you. <laughs> How about you, yeah, Jonathan? I'm, Anything interesting going on in your life this week, or it could oh, be yeah. any week since you've never been on the show before. It could be back in 1947, and we wouldn't know the difference. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, like you guys mentioned earlier, we have the Northeast Linux Fest coming up uh, March 16th and 17th this weekend, so we got that going on. Yeah, and we'll we're gonna talk more about that. Don't hold, keep your powder dry. We're not ready. Yeah. Uh, we'll get there, but we we definitely want to hear all about the Northeast Linux Fest. Uh, it's coming up. You said uh, the seventeenth and eighteenth as well, right? Sixteenth uh, and seventeenth. Sixteenth and seventeenth. Right. Yeah. Okay. This shows you how much I pay attention. Um, <laughs> okay, and we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. But right now, Linux needs some help. Well, not really. But if you want to help, you can over at the LinuxFoundation.org. That's you, Seth. Ready, go. Did we lose him? Are you there? Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I, I lost there for a little bit. I don't know what happened, but I guess I'm back. Yes. All right. Linux Foundation. You can support Linux. Ready, go. Ah, okay. Sorry. Yeah, I came across this, and um, if you're out there and you're thinking, you know, I really wish I could support Linux more than I do, what can I do? Well, they have a credit card. Uh, it's a visa that they have out, and of course, you know, they get a portion of the proceeds for any sale, so you could go out and get a Linux Foundation visa, and then hop over to elementop.com slash Amazon for your purchases, and you can not only support Linux in general, but you could also support this podcast. Wow, so use your visa Linux, your Linux visa card to purchase, make purchases at elementop.com slash Amazon, and you will birth puppies into the world. Yes, <laughs> something like that. Uh, wait, this is the internet. Kittens. The internet. Yeah, oh, sorry. Kittens. Yeah, all about kittens. I don't understand why, but apparently there's a high correlation between cat people and internet people. I've <laughs> had. I have got one of the. I don't. I'm not a credit card user, but the only credit card I do use on a regular basis. Uh, and, well, it's not regular. The only one I use is uh, my university where I graduated. There's an alumni card and you know a certain percentage of what i spend goes to the alumni foundation i don't know why i do that i don't really care about them they can they can get uh bankrupt as far as i'm concerned but uh no i'm kidding uh i think they really feel (laughs) i'm just not just not loyal to my school you know they they made plenty of money off of me you know that's that's what the alumni association always say. Would you would you like to share your success back with with others? It was success. Nothing. I just paid thousands upon thousands of dollars to you, and now you want more. But you know, it was easy, and I I could went ahead and did it anyway. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I just went totally off on rant land. Um, I do that soapbox, soapbox. Mark, you do that occasionally. Yeah, it's you know it doesn't happen often. I know you may not know, but uh, sometimes I tend to rant. <laughs> just a little bit um so anyway moving right along uh the white house petition if you'll recall uh, we talked about it on this show and we talked about it a lot on uh, uh my taiwan tech show is uh the white house had a petition has a website up where you can do petitions and one of the petitions 
that was up was about the recent unlocking of cell phones and how it's um it's not newly illegal it's just no longer protected is the way to put it you know it's always been illegal but the librarian of congress sort of put a temporary hold temporary hold on the illegality of it anyway the the rule is that with uh if a hundred thousand people sign a petition the the white house promises to respond to it and the white house did respond and as we expected it's a non-committal very uh politician doublespeak response go figure yeah, but they were in favor of you should be able to unlock them. So, you know, the weight of the White House, for whatever that is worth, comes out against the Librarian of Congress's decision to unexempt uh, unlocking of phones. So, if that can be more convoluted, we'll work on that for next week's episode. Listen to this title. David R. Edelman, Senior Advisor for Internet, Innovation, and Privacy to the Obama Administration. Good grief. Who yeah. wrote the White House's response said, quote, The White House agrees with the 114,000 plus of you who believe that consumers should be able to unlock their cell phones without risking criminal or other penalties. And then they go on to say that it's it's handy for it's good for the secondhand market if you buy a used phone. And then they kind of went on to say, but it's not our call. Yeah. And so now we're stuck waiting for something else to happen. Or, you know, the government man to come and take away your cell phones. Yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm done with this story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just, you know, I figured I would throw it out there for everybody. In our continuing quest to give you all the numbers, the best of the, the, the worst of calculations across the internet, Chromebook traffic booms! It has exploded far beyond what it ever had been before, according to techworld.com. Yes, it is up 700% since last summer. Unbelievable, Seth. Unbelievable. 700% in one quarter. Wow. And that accounts for less than 0.1% of all traffic. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, yeah, you know, point, it's actually 0.07%, which the good thing about that is it has almost caught up to uh, Sony's PlayStation, and it has long surpassed the week. (laughs) Finally, more people are using Chrome OS to browse the web than are using the Wii to browse the web. Wow. Well, you can do Netflix over the Wii, so that's saying something. Uh, yeah, that's true. And But in, in Netflix, you don't see ad impressions, which is what this is based off of. Based, right. off, based off of ad impressions from the Chitika network. Yeah, so only one ad networks. But you know, this is it's the first metric I have found. Not that I go look not that I was looking for this one in specific, but it's the first metric I found that pegs the uh, Chromebook traffic on the internet. And of course, they also talked about how because of the subset of people that use it, blockers or something could be installed to hide the version. So, it could actually be higher, maybe as high as 0.011%. Wow, I don't know. Unless Google get a big, big head about their explosive 700% growth, the internet would like to remind you that Android is home to 96% of new mobile malware. Yeah, this is one that, um, and actually that is wrong. Not Yeah, 96% of new mobile malware variant families is the article. So it, it doesn't really, and this, they cram everything in there such as, uh, 
network tracking tools or riskware and it doesn't differentiate between stuff found in the store like Google Play Store versus things that are sideloaded and again just because something is possible risky doesn't necessarily make it bad but they lump it all together and it's all about saying how bad Android is versus anything um, actual there. Like Yeah, here's here's <clears throat> one of my favorite sentences there. F-Secure it does include various hacking and monitoring tools, spyware, and get this, even anti-theft software for tracking stolen phones on their list of possible threats. So something I put on my phone in case somebody stole, steals it, that's malware. Yes. No, it's not. I put it on there. Yes, it's, it can track my whereabouts, because that's what I ask it to do. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it was just an Android, and then there was also uh, some quotes. Uh, this guy from Apple, he tweeted uh, this out there, again, you know, to make Apple seem like it's the great and powerful Oz or whatever right. it is on the Internet. So, anyway, I just wanted to, you know, 96%, that's a great number, but when you actually read the text of the article, it really doesn't mean anything. It just if you are smart and you have a little bit of do your diligence, you know you're you're gonna be relatively safe. You know, don't go to the you know some site you've never heard of to get some free app to do something you don't need. Stick to the reputable sources and the reputable developers, and you're most likely going to be safe. But of course, even in something as controlled as Apple's. OS malware can slip through and nothing is 100% effective, but you know, you're not going to drive your car into the inner city of any city and leave the door open and the car running um, and the lights on. So don't do that with your mobile phone either. <laughs> there you go. That's good a advice. pretty good analogy, actually. <laughs> yeah, and, and of course, the, the numbers are, are skewed there because iOS and, and RIM and Windows. Uh, give the user less power, therefore right. it's less uh, possible for mal malware to exist. So it makes sense that the uh, the platform that allows the users more control over their phone also allows them to be to misuse their phone. Um, I just love numbers like that. Ninety six percent of all malware. In other words, if you don't want to get your infected, then don't get use Android. No, that's not it at all. And in fact, you know, a lot of the, the they talk about possible vectors. This thing could possibly do this. Therefore, we're calling it a threat vector. Yes. Okay. You know, and my house could possibly explode due to random spontaneous combustion. But, you know, my insurance company doesn't have that on the list of things to worry about. At least not yet. Yeah. So Because <laughs> my insurance company isn't run by headline writers. Um couple of headlines back-to-back -back for the Humble Indie Bundle, folks. Chris, you're a big fan of that. Humble Indie Bundle 5 is out uh, with a new uh, Android component. Yep. This is an Android release for the Humble Indie Bundle. So if you do have an Android phone or tablet, this would be for you. They do offer Linux and Windows installers as well for this. But uh, it's a great package. And again, they're um, they're sponsoring some charities with it. Um, I didn't buy this one because I don't have an Android phone or tablet yet. But uh, it's won't a good run on your uh, Kindle. Um, you, I could probably sideload it into the Kindle, but I've never tried. All right, fair enough. And and uh, in another headline, this is the 
the not new news department once again uh linux um users pay more for humble humble bundle payments than anybody else well actually it is news because now the total given by linux has surpassed the total given by mac users uh there were more mac users uh than uh linux users overall and so even though they gave a lower percent individually they came out to be more there's still more mac than linux users on steam but now the total amount given by linux has exceeded the total amount given by mac and that steam number is a is the last time i checked it out the steam users are that are linux users are uh they just either just surpassed or are just getting up to the Mac mark. So we're getting close to the point where Steam is actually going to be starting to look more and more towards Linux because of the, the raw numbers than Mac. Yeah, and I just read where uh, some of the newer distros are are bundling Steam into the install. Oh, that's new. Hmm. That's that's a good idea, honestly. What better way to, to snag more users than to have it as the default installer for games? Speaking of installers, uh, we just, as I mentioned, we had a listener request that we do, uh, if not a show, a segment on various software repositories in Linux. Um, you know, the uh, uh, RPMs and, and DEBs and uh, PPAs and, and all that good sort of stuff. So I just wanted to let you know we did get that. We are listening, and that will be forthcoming since this was the opportunity to mention it since we were talking about software repositories. Cool. That may be a, one of our more geeky episodes. But that's oh, I'm right. sure. I'm sure there will be lots of meaningless rants that don't have anything to do with anything just to keep you interested. And I'll save an extra special Seth's link for that episode. Yeah, there just, we go. Uh, <laughs> how to how to how to make the perfect cinnamon toast or something like that. Um, okay, and the last story that I want to do for tonight for tonight I think is particularly interesting. Uh, Google um, has licensed a codec uh, from the MPEG uh, uh, group, Motion Picture Experts group, to bolster the VP8 codec. So uh, VP8 already is a set of codecs uh, that um, how's the way to put this the 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 current license owners have said we promise not to sue anybody but they're it's still owned by somebody else uh, and that's one of the reasons VP8 has been so hard getting off the ground people were afraid to use it because the guy who said no trust me I won't sue you honest may change his mind uh, so yeah. Google he has kind of yeah he's kind of known as a patent troll anyway right so so Google has has stepped out and actually gone and bought some real live licenses to real live codecs to put them in the VP8 so that's going to be interesting yeah um and um there was a couple of links to this story and one of them I just wanted to read this one quote from it um is that why is this surprising uh, because this means that vpa is a hell of a lot safer and more free from possible repercussions than the h.264 itself what many h264 proponents do not understand either willfully or out of sheer ignorance is that those h264 license embedded in windows osx ios or your professional camera and so on do not cover commercial use if you shoot a video with your camera in H.264, 
upload it to YouTube and get some income from advertisements, you're in violation of the licensing agreement and MPEG LA has made it clear they have no qualms about going after individual users. So, um, and with VP8, that will be, uh, that block will be removed. So it's one of those things that, you know, you're probably breaking the law anyway, but now you won't be with this new codec. Because, you know, it's not that it's not, it's no longer unlicensed. Google is just fronting the money and right. saying, you know, we've got $6 billion in the bank. Let's just take some of the interest off of that and buy this codec. And I, I'm not sure what their interest in VP8 is. Probably YouTube. Probably they, you know, they've got so much um, code there now, uh, so much encoding. They want to have something that is open and unencumbered, and they don't want to get sued for. That's right. that's what I'm thinking. But I, I think there's probably something else that we don't know about. Maybe it's part of the Google Glass project that's going to have a heavy video component. But they're really, you know, they waited for the market to uh to sort of jump on this and when they didn't they started pushing it and now they're just putting their money where their mouth is and saying fine we will buy licenses for this to make sure that you're covered so it's a good thing i think it'll be interesting to see uh what happens in the future yeah i wonder if that's going to be you know tied into their google hangouts to add better video quality through that because if they have vp8 tied into their google hangouts wouldn't that also increase the ability for people to use google hangouts as a money maker Sure. My, I haven't used VP8 a lot. I've played with it a little. The file sizes overall tend to be a little bigger, in my experience, than an MP4, but they're much higher quality. So they're a little little bigger for, for much higher quality. Again, this is just one guy's limited experimentation with it. Uh, so, you know, the H.264 is the heart of what's in the, the MPEG, in the MP4 codec now. And um, it's also uh, in VP8. Now they're just saying we're going to we're going to use. I don't know, that's this is my reading between the lines. There, we're going to make H.264 the main codec in VP8, and we're going to license it so that it's legal for home and commercial use. So uh, that'll be interesting. Uh, I think it. You know, it's a little bit of Google giving back, but I'm enough of a capitalist to know they're not giving back just because they like giving back. They've got a they've got a dog in this hunt, and in this case, it's a good thing that works out for all of us. Cool. So there's a there's some news for you, peoples. Now you're up to date on some things that I found mildly interesting as I peruse <laughs> the web this week. That's what we're gonna call this section from now on. <laughs> news on stuff Seth found mildly interesting while browsing the web one Sunday afternoon. <laughs> it's a little long, but I think we can work with it. I think so. We'll make so, it work. So now, Jonathan, I know you. I know you've been sitting back there biting your tongue. Tell us all about the Northeast Linux Fest. What is it? Where is it? When is it? And why is it? Sure. The uh, Northeast uh, GNU Linux Fest is March sixteenth and seventeenth. It's at Harvard University this year, and um, this is the third year that we're having it. It was um, a smaller event the first few years. This year we're having it's uh, two full days. Well, a day and a half basically. But on Sunday it's going until one or two o'clock um we will be having uh many people speaking there we have three three tracks uh with uh, different talks going on then a fourth track that's going to be strictly talks from people within fedora there's a bunch of uh ambassadors coming and uh it's going to be almost like a mini fudcon which is what fedora puts on for their uh conferences and uh so fedora is going to have a whole track for themselves and then on sunday they're going to have a classroom to themselves um 
teaching like why Fedora ships the codecs that it ships, why it doesn't ship uh, other codecs. Um, you know, talking about like audio editing within Fedora and video editing and things like that. So be classes going on to learn uh, how to use Fedora. The door-to-door -door geek will be there on both days, but on Saturday he's going to have a whole classroom to himself, and he's going to be giving his Linux for the rest of us class there. So anyone new to Linux that uh, or even ha hasn't used it, they can take the class and learn how to like install Ubuntu and learn how to install packages and understand what a desktop environment is, understand what a windowing system is, and he's going to show the people all those kinds of things uh, all day on Saturday, and on Sunday he'll be giving a talk. Um, we'll, we'll be having, um, John Mad Dog Hall is giving the keynote on Saturday on the main track. If, uh, no one's heard of him, uh, definitely just Google him. He'll find him quickly. He's been there from the beginning. He actually gave, uh, uh, Linus a alpha 64 bit computer when he was first building the Linux kernel. And that's what made the Linux kernel be able to be compatible with 64 bit machines. So because of Mad Dog hooking Linus up with this, like, $30,000 computer he had it shipped over to him and uh, and and uh, he was able to use it and uh, move the Linux kernel forward. So he'll be there giving a talk. We'll have uh, John Sullivan, the executive director from the Free Software Foundation. He'll be giving a talk. Uh, Matt Lee, who was a campaigns manager at the Free Software Foundation, he'll be giving a talk. Uh, let's see. We have a bunch of people from uh, Red Hat giving talks like OpenShift, KVM, uh, Virtualization, SE Linux, uh, we have people from SkySQL giving a talk. We have someone from OwnCloud uh, coming and giving a talk to teach how to learn OwnCloud and utilize it for your own uh, personal uses and in and within the business also. Um, what's a few more talks that I'm missing that someone might be interested in? Um, Jonathan, will you be streaming any of this, or is it must be present to win? Uh, unfortunately, we won't be streaming it, but we have a very good track record of pushing out all the audio last year. We put out all the audio from all the talks in 72 hours. So we'll be recording every track on its own computer using Mumble. And uh, I would say within a week, we should have all of the talks uh, hosted and up on the northeastlinuxfest.org site. So you'd easily be able to go to there and download all of them and, and uh, you know be able to hear every talk you want to hear. Tell us a little bit about the history of the, the Neglif uh, the Northeast GNU Linux Fest. Uh, where did it? How long has it been around? Who started it? Who's running it? Um, that sort of stuff. Sure. It's a, we're in the third year. This is the third uh, event we've had, and the reason why I started it, I'm I'm a, a full time college student. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's not over overlook that. The reason why I started it. So you are the Northeast Linux Fest. Well, I'm, in the beginning, I was. Now I have a lot more help. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh so the reason why i wanted to start the event because uh, i'm a full-time student and i should be graduating in may and the first computer science class i took i was the only person using free software and running uh GNU linux and i was like wow you figure in a computer science class there'd be a few more uh you know GNU linux users and so my uh, goal was to get everyone using free software by the end of the semester which i accomplished and you know, I figured, you know, if my school is like this, I'm sure there's like almost every other school within the area, it must be like this. Like, you know, either the students don't really know about free software or have never tried it or whatever. And so that's the reason why I uh, started the event is to bring awareness to free software to computer science students. And uh, so I had it the first two years I held the event at uh, Worcester State, which is the school I go to. And uh, the, first, the first year of the event was half a day 
there's like four or five speakers and it went well there's like I don't know, 100 people show up so i thought that was pretty well and then the second year uh we went a full day still just one track um and then you know the numbers like doubled almost tripled and then this year like i said we're going two days in four tracks and one day two tracks on the other so we're uh, we're growing and i think harvard is going to be our home from here on out for the all of the foreseeable events so that's uh that's why i started to bring awareness to free software and and you let people know hey you know this this is a viable solution you know whatever you might hear from uh, other people about uh you know gnu linux like i was in a class three years ago and it was like an entrepreneur class and at that time i was selling i had a website selling uh computers pre-installed with uh, gnu linux and I was showing them my website and then, and a lot of the kids were like, yeah, I heard of that Linux. Like, isn't that like that hacker kind of stuff and like all that command line and everything? And I was like, no, 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 that's not what it is at all anymore. And I had, I pulled out my laptop. I was like, here, this is what it looks like. And they're like, oh, wow, that looks like, you know, a de like a, a, an operating system you'd see, you know, now. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know why people think Linux is still this, what it looked like back in like 1992. It's, it's the matrix. The matrix runs on Linux. It's the green letters going yep. down from the top. It, yeah. yeah, exactly. I couldn't believe it though. I was like, man, really? Like, so, so I was like, I, I'm trying to overcome that mindset and show people, you know, look, this is a viable solution for your business, your school, your personal use, uh, you know, whatever you're looking to do, it's a viable solution. So, that's the whole reason for the event is to bring awareness to it and to show people how to leverage free software for whatever they might be looking to use technology for. And we also have other discussions at the event too. Like there's a few speakers talking about um, the, like repercussions of, you know, maybe uh, like law with free software and like maybe using free software within the government. Uh, Thomas Gideon from the Command Line podcast, he's going to be giving a talk on how to use free software more within like government projects and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it, it's all about taking back control of your computer, you know, so that, that's that's what it's all about. And uh, so you've got John Mad Dog Hall. You've got the great door-to-door -door geek. You've got uh, six tracks total running across two days. How many thousands of dollars does it cost to join up with this wonderful event? Yeah, ah, I'm glad you asked. It's completely free. So all you got to do is show up and uh, you can uh, enjoy the day. What? Are you kidding me? Really? There is no cost to attend this amazing event? That's right. <laughs> Jeez. You must have some pretty good sponsors then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, HP sponsoring, Red Hat, Rackspace, SkySQL, Google, uh, quite a few others. That OwnCloud, uh, Oracle, um, uh, Arista Networks. Players. And I think, yeah. Yeah, and it just you know, just to to let the the audience in on our little secret, the only reason I'm not there is we couldn't come together with with uh, terms of of my salary. I was demanding six figures. They only had you know the high fives to give me, and and I just I wouldn't I wouldn't settle. So uh, that's why I'm not uh, keynoting this year. Yeah, yeah, we tried to work it out. We couldn't get the private jet in time and stuff. Yeah. So uh, it was it was really it was the the. Uh, I'm not going to go there. That was a, t a t even more tasteless joke. Uh, so I'm just going to leave that one be. Uh, I, I do. I would like to go, but that is a bit outside of my um, driving and getting back to work on Monday range uh, all the way up there to Boston. Oh, but you know, but it, you know, it's not so bad as if I went up there. <laughs> yeah. Right. You're in Montana. Right. So well, actually yeah. we have uh, Cody Cooper, the other host of uh, Lennox the rest of us. He's coming out from Oregon. So you guys actually don't have an excuse. 
Yeah, yeah, I do have an excuse. It's called a wallet that has nothing in it. That's my excuse. Um, I'll second that. So is there anything else you want to say about uh, the Northeast Linux Fest for this year? Uh, uh, you know, if you're not already there, um, you better act quick by the time this comes out. Because, again, you've got two days. This will come out on Wednesday. Uh, they start on Friday. So you, you better hightail it up there if you're not already there. Um, but any other any other words of wisdom you want to say? Uh, like I said, door to door geeks giving like an all day class. Also, uh, Drew Levine from FreeBSD. She's going to be giving a three hour class on how to use FreeNAS in your home and whatnot. So that'll nice. be a cool. class you might want to catch. Also, cool. And uh, and we'll look forward to even bigger things next year. Yeah, uh, definitely. So uh, Jonathan is not only a podcaster and a a Linux uh, um festival organizer, he is also uh, a man with a mission, and his current mission is the Sonar Project, uh, aimed at bringing um, accessible computing to everyone at no cost. Is that a, yep. a pretty good mission statement uh, summarization there? Yes, definitely. So tell us a little bit about Sonar. So Sonar is it's actually sort of a project within my, I have a nonprofit organization called the Accessible Computing Foundation. So Sonar is really sort of sponsored by the ACF. Um, Sonar is a uh, GNU Linux distribution focused on accessibility. So I myself am blind. It's it's built for blind people, but not just blind people. All like I, I'm trying to cover or meet the needs of every uh, accessibility or disability issue there is. So um, there's one billion people in the world with some type of disability. So I'm trying to focus on these people and bring them accessible computing. And so with Sonar. I have a few different versions. One's based off of Ubuntu, another one's based off of Debian. Um, and I've managed to make the LXDE desktop accessible, which hasn't been done yet, and which will be great for lower-end hardware and uh, lower-spec hardware to be able to run uh, you know, the software on. So uh, basically with Sonar, you can download it, and a blind individual can install Sonar completely by themselves with no sight of help at all. I got the installer accessible and the Orca screen reader can read all the menus to the installation process so a blind person can install it completely with no sight of help and not have to depend on anyone or wait for someone to help them out or you know things like that um also included is a magnification software for people with low vision uh, there's also a font included for people with dyslexia that will help them read the screen better uh, there's also a couple of on-screen keyboards there's two different ones uh, one is just a basic on-screen keyboard for people with low motor skills but the other on-screen keyboard will do predictive text. So you can do a number of things with it. You can have it pre-populate certain things. So like, say if you're always putting in your name, address, phone number, you know, things like that, you can type it out once and, you know, uh, modify a key. So every time you hit that key or press a button on the on-screen keyboard, it'll pre-populate what you've already typed in. So that way you don't have to do, you know, do repetition things over and over again. So are you just assembling existing projects into one distro, or are you actually uh, working with coders to make this stuff happen? How is all this stuff coming about? So far, all of these things exist, but no one really knows about it or utilizes them. So with Sonar, I'm already uh, installing the packages and making them easily accessible and configuring them. So that way, because with some of the packages, you kind of have to install it and then set it up and do a few various other things to kind of get it running. So with Sonar, I'm taking all of that, you know, out and I'm lowering the barrier and making it easier for people to use uh, these packages that already exist. So Very cool. it's, it's, it's almost like, um, 
you know, maybe what like uh, Ubuntu Studio does. Like, sure, all of those things already exist and you can install in Ubuntu, but they focus on, you know, recording audio and video and make it as easy as possible for the person installing Ubuntu Studio so that way you don't have to mess around and figure out what packages they need to install, how to configure it and everything like that. So that's what Sonar is doing, taking that approach. And you've had some uh, recent uh, publicity uh, attention, right? Yeah, I, I ran an Indiegogo campaign, uh, and it ended in February on February 20th. Uh, that went really well, because I've, I've already had Sonar up and running for quite a few months, but I needed a little bit of help to give it that, that fit and finish and that polish, and uh, I was able to raise $9,800, and actually PC World wrote an article on it, which was pretty cool. And um, so I'm, now I'm talking with um, the LibreOffice developers, and I have a huge list of bugs that we're going to be fixing that for accessibility, and we're going to make a big dent into making uh, LibreOffice extremely accessible, uh, not only for blind people, but for there's other issues that with LibreOffice other than uh, like dialog boxes not reading properly and things like that. So if, cool. if you don't mind me getting a, a little personal here, you you lost your sight later in life, right? Yeah, I was 14. I got in a pretty bad car accident, and I lost my sight from that. So before I was 14, I could uh, see totally fine. I didn't break any bones or anything like that. I played lots of sports, and then uh, when I was 14, I got in the accident, and I kind of took care of all of the never-breaking-any-bones thing. <laughs> so I'm going to go off on out of limb here and make an assumption and say, up until that time, you didn't care a whit about accessible software, did you? No, not at all. Yeah. And and, and you know, and that's why when I speak to people about it, they're like, "Oh, you know, I feel so bad. I never thought about it." Or you know, and I'm like, "No, you know, don't feel bad because if you don't depend on these things, you're not going to think of it." And like you just said, Mark, I didn't depend on it before, and I definitely never crossed my mind. Like, not not only just accessible like computing, but just like accessibility issues in general, like how people deal with just day to day life if they have different uh, physical hurdles or you know, any other kind of physical difficulties. I never considered those things before. So, you know, it's, I, I talk about these things not to make people feel bad, but to bring awareness to it, even if it's for five minutes, like to just at least let you maybe consider it. And then maybe at some point down the road, you might, you know, a thought might pop in your mind and, you know, maybe you'll be able to act on something or whatever. But, you know, the whole, the whole goal to this is to, you know, bring awareness to it and to do something about it and, you know, bridge the gap between accessibility and technology and, you know, the reason why I want to build Sonar and what the ACF's goal is to um, make as much accessible software as possible using free software. I mean, this day and age, there's no reason why, you know, things can't be more accessible than they are. And, you know, we can put Mars, you know, ro rovers on Mars. We can, uh, you know, fly people into outer space on like, you know, leisure space shuttles. We could do all these things and yet we can't make common devices that we take for granted accessible to people. And... The problem is a lot of companies don't think there's any monetary reason to do it. And so, again, my goal is to bring awareness to them saying, like, look, this is a reason why I want to do it. There's roughly 15 to 20 million people in the United States alone that are blind or have low vision. And this number is a little rough because, I mean, people that can't see with glasses are, you know, considered legally blind. But if they put on glasses, they can see these people are kind of in that number. But. I've been trying to talk with Roku and telling them, look, it's in your interest to make the menu on your device accessible to blind people. You really don't want 15 to 20 more million people buying your devices. And so I've been trying to speak to them about things like that, saying, look, we'll design the software, but I need you to work with me so we can get this accomplished. And so I'm trying to point out things 
like that, there's a reasons why companies should take accessibility into interest. Like I said at the beginning, there's 1 billion people in the world with some type of disability. You really want to ignore a market of 1 billion people? Right. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. So, it's like, would you just write off all of China? No. Right, exactly. Yeah, you know, exactly. And, you know, and, and the reason why of, you know, again, doing Sonar is because, sure, there is accessible software on proprietary systems, and there's proprietary accessible software, but if there's a, uh, a Windows user and that's blind, and they want to use a screen reader, there's one, the most de facto one, it's called JAWS, and it's made by a company called Freedom Scientific. And the starting price for the screen reader is $1,000. Now, 80% of blind people in the United States are unemployed. So it's kind of interesting how this company comes to that number to sell you know, a product to a person that they know can't afford it. Because it's this whole, I don't know what you would call it, but basically, you know, Freedom Scientific sets such a high price because the government comes in and foots the bill. Now, people say, well, that's great. They're getting it anyways, and, and what's the matter? Yeah, sure, I guess it's kind of great, but that means there's only so much money, only so many people are going to get it, and basically, you know, the people that depend on this software are depending on someone else to supply it for them, and we can't, like, control the market. It's out of our reach. Like, we can't put this company out of business because someone's keeping it up, like, with a crutch. So... You know, sure, some people are getting access to assistive technology, but not everyone. With sonar, everyone would have access to assistive technology, and there'd be no 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 barrier of price. And not only would there be no barrier of price, but since it's free software, they'd be in control of the software they depend on to access their computers. So because it's free software, they can learn, they can study the source code, learn how to program, possibly they could become developers, they could... Uh, start their own tech support within like, you know, India, there's like a thousand dialects. So a blind person or another person with some type of disability could start their own support for Sonar within that region and start earning money that way. Um, you know, again, we'd be in, we're in control of our own computing by using free software with accessible software. So that's another, you know, purpose behind Sonar is to give the people that depend on assist, because without this assistive technology, they can't use their computer. So they'd be they'd have their own destiny in their own hand by using free software using uh assistive technology to access access their computers i just wish you were a little more passionate about it (laughs) (laughs) yeah just a little bit more come on uh you know it's it's interesting i uh i didn't grow up with any blind people it's not anything that was in my uh, sphere of, of influence, uh, not really anything I paid attention to. And I think that's probably the case for most people. Uh, but it wasn't until I started this podcast network and, and I started getting, uh, people commenting and saying, you know, Hey, this page doesn't work with my screen reader. I can't, I can't do that. Can you, uh, and, and of course to me is just a, you know, just a guy doing this on a part time. I don't know how to fix that. So I've, I've been fortunate in having some, um, programming savvy, blind guys contact me and say, you know, here's the problem. Here's how you fix it to make your site more accessible. Uh, and so I think if, if nothing else, what you're doing is, is good for that because it's just, you're letting people know. It's not that people are resistant. They don't, they don't wake up in the morning and say, I hope no blind people use my product. Um, they just, they don't have a, a context. They don't, they don't know where to start. So having something like the sonar project is certainly a, a, a good tool, even if the software itself uh, isn't uh, the the end result? It you know just raising awareness is a is a valuable thing. Yeah, and I'm hoping like Sonar will actually even become a platform to where you know newer uh, assistive technology will be developed on top of it. 
I mean, my, my goal, like I said, is I'm focusing on these 1 billion people. I would love nothing more than these 1 billion people to be using free software for their accessible assistive technology because that's that's the best way for them to go is to be in complete control of their software and not to be you know restricted by another company telling them yeah we could fix that but it's not you know it's not worth it for us to pay someone to fix it or yeah we'll fix it you'll see the next upgrade and i hope you can get someone to buy it for you you know so they're not going to have that held over them they'll be able to you know file a bug and you know the acf will fund someone to pay to fix it and uh, you know, or they might be able to have a friend of theirs that's a savvy developer and be like, hey, you know, I'm having a problem with this. And their friend could be like, you know, I can fix that in 20 minutes. I'll do it right now. So they'll just be in complete control uh, of their assistive technology and they won't be uh, restricted by companies telling them, you know, yeah, you can do that. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, we're going to do this. No, we're not. And like I said, they'll just, you know, be in control of their own computing. What's your level of upstream support, Ben? You're, you're based on uh debian uh or maybe ubuntu uh have you have you had support from those guys at the from the upstream level uh not well with the LibreOffice stuff we're doing yes so all, all of the bug fixes that i'm doing uh aren't going to be specifically for sonar i am a strong believer and any fixes or enhancements or anything going upstream so all of the LibreOffice work i'm getting done is going right upstream and every distribution is going to benefit from it so debian ubuntu uh, Fedora, just you know, Linux Mint. Everyone will benefit from these fixes that are being made. Very cool. Uh, tell us about the Sonar Podcast. Obviously, the people listening to the show are into podcasts. Tell us about that. Yeah, the Sonar Podcast is we're kind of taking a. Uh, I don't know if your listeners might be um, know what going Linux is, but we're kind of taking that approach of that podcast where we take a topic and we'll kind of give a 30,000 foot view of that topic on one episode and then the second episode we'll dive deeper into it and get more into details on it so we've only done maybe I think we only have up four podcasts but we've done six I haven't uploaded the other two yet um things have been busy but so like the first episode we explain like what is free software what's good in Linux we talk about like RMS and how everything got started and then the second uh episode we talk about um distributions and uh, the third episode, we talk about what's a dev package, what's an RPM package. So we're just getting people uh, used to, you know, all of the lingo and, you know, all of the language that's going to be used in the future episodes. Then we start diving into, like, what's the Orca screen reader? Uh, and then what email clients are accessible? Which command line email clients do we use or not use? So things like that. It's just to get people that are new to free software to let them know what assistive technology can be used. And again, to show them it's a, a viable solution. You know that every time you say good new Linux, my right eyelid twitches, right? <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 I was, I didn't always say good new Linux, but, uh, I know, uh, you've expressed your feelings on RMS a few episodes back, but I've listened to his talks. Uh, if you, if you listen to some of his talks on, on the website, now granted, I don't agree anything rms says outside of free software i just want to make that clear <laughs> so his his views on issues outside of free software uh we're not on the same page but when it comes to free software i totally uh am 100 in line with with what he he, he uh speaks about what it represents on the free software side and uh i i understand now why he you know it, it's hard to say GNU linux but if you realize that, you know, this guy did like 95% of the work and he, it took him years to do it. 
and all of a sudden, you know, Linus Torvalds comes in and, and you know throws up his kernel, and, and and everyone just calls it Linux. I, you know, sure it might be an ego thing for RMS, like why he wants to call it GNU Linux, but I mean, the guy did do a lot of work, and there's no reason why it can't be called that. I understand why people don't. I mean, it's easier to just say Linux, and it's a generic term, and everyone knows what we mean. But I just do it for that sake. Just, like I said, I listened to quite a few of his talks that I downloaded on the FSF or the GNU.org website. And after hearing him talk, it's like, you know what? This guy makes a lot of sense. So that's why I uh, I say GNU Linux. And, and more power to you. I'm just going to keep twitching in silence. <laughs> <laughs> you can see it. I just wasn't saying anything. Right. Um, uh, guys, any other questions? I've been monopolizing the conversation. You guys have any comments or questions? No. Um, like uh, when I was searching for Sonar, the first link I actually came across was that um, a fundraiser page you talked about, and it was closed. So if somebody wanted to contribute to the Sonar project, do you have a link or something you can send them to? Yeah, if you go to sonar-project.org, there's a, a donation page right there, a donation button right there. Um, or you could even go to theacf.co. That's my nonprofit organization that I said kind of sponsors like the Sonar work. So basically the goal of the ACF is sort of what Sonar is doing is to, we raise money and then we hire developers to uh, enhance or develop new uh, accessible software. So all the donations that are made to the ACF fund Sonar and also fund you know future endeavors that we'll be looking into. Um, we're going to start looking into building particular Android ROMs for a bunch of different phones. And um, I'm also doing work right now currently with the Raspberry Pi, making that accessible. So uh, we'll be able to get, you know, Google and uh, the Raspberry Pi Foundation have made computing accessible, but we, we, we want to bring that accessibility one more step. So uh, we'll be able to get accessible computers into people's hands for, you know, less than $50 across, you know, across the world. So that's the next thing that we'll be working on. So you said earlier that uh, a user could download and install Sonar. Uh, do you have any plans of releasing a Sonar distribution where there is no installation? You just throw the, the ISO on your machine and install it and go? Uh, I'm sorry, that last part broke up on me, Mark. But do you want to just make a whole distribution, or are you going to stick with a package that you uh, tag on to other distributions? Uh, well, I mean, right now, I, I basically, I mean, Sonar is its own distribution. I just use, like, Ubuntu or Debian as, like, the base, but I build everything from the ground up, and I make it so, like, a custom ISO from that image. Okay, I misunderstood so, that. So you're distributing it as the Sonar Linux distribution. Back, yeah, exactly. So, um, but right now, I, I still haven't bothered removing, like, the uh, like the Ubuntu splash screen, so <laughs> I have a logo that I haven't put on there yet, but a large part of me is like, you know what? The majority of these users right now are using it are blind. They don't even see it. (laughs) (laughs) Valid point. I'm glad you said that. I'd get in trouble if I said that. (laughs) (laughs) That's uh, definitely last on the list is uh, worrying about, you know, the splash screen and and the themes and stuff. So, (laughs) Uh. So I'm I'm trying to think if I have anything else. There's so much to to say, and 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 I don't want to take up your whole evening. Um, but it it just sounds like uh, oh, you said earlier that uh, um, the average user can uh, blind user can install it without any assistance from anybody. What assumptions do you make to get to that? What what hardware does every blind user have 
that makes that go? What is what is it that that you can say? Because see, I don't know. I mean, would I would I be able to just install it on a regular laptop? Am I going to need something else? Uh, or what what does it take uh, to install and use Sonar? Can it can it just go on any regular HP laptop? Yeah, totally. I mean, as long as I mean, if you could load any other you know distribution, Sonar should install no problem. You know, no problem like any other distro. So. Um, so I'm assuming I, it works with with screen reading, all right? As your as your primary goal, do you have things outputs for like Braille uh, outputs? It, it, does it support those devices as well? Does so you could have a Braille display plugged into the USB, and that will come up also along with the Orca screen reader. So basically, what happens is when you download the ISO and you burn it and you boot off of it, or if you put on a USB stick or whatever, you boot off of it. Uh, it boots into a live session. The second it boots up, you'll hear the little sonar intro you know it's booting into the desktop and then boom or you'll hear orca come up and start talking and then from there you can go and you know go to the menu click install and it starts walking through the install process cool that's it's neat. very cool sounds like you have everything pretty much nailed in the head yeah it's the same it's installation process as like the ubuntu installer or linux mint it's the same exact installer it's just i have orca come up and it can read through the menus so it's the same exact installer do you know what your user base is right now? Uh, I haven't checked in a couple of months, uh, but in November-ish or so, we had over 600 downloads in 30 different countries. Great. And does the software, you know, uh, dial home at any point to to let you know what people are doing with it? I mean, do you know how many of those were just, hey, let me check this out, and how many are actually using it? Uh, I don't know. Um I'm trying to find a better way to be able to communicate with the people because I use SourceForge for the like downloading page. And so I'm trying to, I don't know which users found it just through the SourceForge site or which users found it through like the sonar-project.org site. So I'm trying to figure out a way to trigger a mech, not trigger a mechanism, but a way to uh, speak with the users to let them know like, Hey, you know, can you email me at this email address or, you know, visit the website and I'd love to know how you found it, you know, what you think. And, uh, just, just two days ago, I got a testimonial from a guy. He emailed me and he said, Hey, I've heard you on a couple of other podcasts. I heard about sonar and, uh, there was uh, this blind woman that he knew and she was using jaws on windows and, uh, someone who, who meant well formatted her hard drive and she lost jaws and she didn't have the copy of it anymore. And you don't have so a spare thousand bucks laying around to get another one, right? So he was like, so I downloaded Sonar 4, installed it, and and he said that she was up and running in like, you know, 10, 15 minutes. She was, you know, getting back to her email and typing on documents, and it's like she there was no really learning curve there. So I'm hoping to get in contact with her soon to like get, kind of get a testimonial and, and you know, get her opinion of uh, what she thought of it. Because for me, I've been using free software for like five years now, so I, I take a lot of stuff for granted. So I, I need that new user's perspective to, to see what problems they encountered or what assumptions they made when they started using it. You know, a lot of the time when we're talking about new distributions uh, or new new versions, you know, uh, Windows, Linux, Mac, all different operating systems, a lot of the things that we focus on are the user interface. How does the system present itself to the user? Uh, do we like that? You know, we have, we've moaned about... Um, uh, Unity and Cinnamon in the past, and uh, I, I wonder from the the screen reader side of things, how what's the user interface like? Difference between Jaws and Orca? Are they gonna? 
uh, notice much of a difference, uh, or is it going to be a seamless transition? Do you have any anybody who's who's moved from one to the other, and, and what has their input been on that? It was like nine questions at once. Answer them in whatever order. Sure. The the similarities are are pretty close. That a lot of the key combinations and keystrokes kind of carry over. So if you're used to using Jaws. I would say 90 to 95% of the keystrokes you're used to are basically going to carry over into Orca. So there's not going to be too bad of a learning curve there. Uh, the only thing that I think you'd really have to get used to is um, by pressing like Alt F1, that brings you to the menu. And then from there, you can arrow through like Internet, Office. You know, say if you arrow down to Internet, then you would right arrow over to expand Internet and then, you know, arrow down and you'd see Chromium, Thunderbird, you know, whatever. So I guess you'd have to get used to that, and uh, you'd also have to know Control Alt and Tab move you through like the top and bottom panels on the desktop. So I guess those are kind of the two things that jump out in mind that you'd kind of have to figure out. Um, but like I said, the majority of the keystrokes for screen readers are pretty much carry over from Windows to uh, from Jaws to Orca. So, so it really kind of is the same things that we whine about. When we talk about in Unity, everything's hidden behind that one menu, and you got to search for it rather than uh, having it accessible. It, you know, you're you're doing the same menus, right? You're just doing it by the keyboard instead of the mouse. So the the more things are laid out in front of you, the better. Um, which is what we you know have often said that we don't like about Unity is it hides everything. Uh, yeah. as opposed to putting everything out in front of you. So I guess it's the same complaints, just a, a tactile interface instead of a, a mouse. Yeah, because with, with Sonar, I use the default desktop is uh, the GNOME fallback session. So basically, it's using GNOME 3, all of GNOME 3 libraries, except it looks a lot like GNOME 2. So it has the top and bottom panel, and it has the old you know uh, menu where, like I said, like internet, uh, accessories, office, all of that is right there out in front so you can you know, just arrow through all of the programs and find what you want to use. So on Windows, I would do start button up and and over, uh, whereas on Linux, now I'm doing the Alt F1 and down. So it's it's really the differences are the same differences. So it's it, that's why I was saying, I, I'd imagine it's not too much of a learning curve, but like I said, I've been using it for five years now and I just take everything for granted. So that's why I'm really excited to, you know, that this guy emailed me because I, I really want to speak with this lady and, and get her you know, her, her thoughts on it. Yeah, I think that might open up a lot of doors for you, considering she's such a new user on it. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I, that would be a great thing for you. And maybe if any of our users know, or our listeners know about it, about someone who's using Sonar, they should get a hold of you, too. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm thinking of doing something maybe in the next six months or something where, like, almost doing, like, a Sonar challenge. So, like, even if you're not blind... To, to take, you know, 15 or 20 minutes, download Sonar, burn it, and you can just use it in the live session. You don't have to install it if you don't want to. But I love people that, you know, can see to close their eyes and, you know, for a number of things. One, see, you know, how accessible things are and, and where help might ne- might be needed. And two, to maybe get a, a small understanding of what blind users have to deal with when they're on their day-to-day basis, like surfing the web or doing instant message or checking your email or, you know, just to get an idea of, of how computing is, is done differently when you, you know, when you can't see the screen and then, and then get feedback from those users. Like, you know, what problems did you encounter? Like I'll, I'll uh, have like a test kind of suite, like, okay, do these 10 things, like open up LibreOffice writer and type a document and, you know, now check your email and set up your instant messaging and see how that works. And, and hopefully I can compile a report for everyone 
and see what problems they encountered and what things they assumed and, and try to uh, counter, counter those things. Well, let us know when you get that put together because I personally, I would like to do it and I would like to challenge uh, our everyday Linux followers to give that a try as well. If, I mean, I just, I think it would be cool just to kind of, for those of us who take seeing for granted, but also give you some valuable feedback as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It'd be greatly appreciated. Well, that seems like a good place to wrap this conversation up. So I'm going to end this interview the way I like to to end uh, all interviews. Uh, Jonathan, if you had one point that you wanted to people hear, if they didn't hear anything but this next two minutes, what is the one uh, message that you want to make sure people get from this podcast? I would say, I really, if you just visit theacf.co, which is the Accessible Computing Foundation, you'll see my goals on that website. And if you want to to help. Uh, you know, monetarily with that, you, you can become a member at $2 a month to help out with uh, the work the ACF's doing, or we need people to help out with uh, documentation or, you know, other things like that. So however you can help, I am looking for help. So please visit the ACF.co and let's bridge the gap between accessibility and technology and help out those 1 billion people in the world. All right. So, uh, awesome. you know, if you're, if you're uh, thinking about buying pizza one night, Skip the pizza, send 20 bucks to the ACF, and uh, instead of feeding one person, you can help a billion people. That's a pretty good return on your investment, I'd say. Yeah. Um, all right, so Jonathan, stick with us here, and if you have any um, um, tips or links or anything that you'd like to throw in, maybe the accessibility tip of the week or something, we'll, uh, we'll come back to you on that. Chris, do you have a command line for us this week? No, I don't. Honestly, no. <laughs> I just didn't get to it this week. Work's been rough. All right. Appreciate your diligence there. Seth, uh, what have you got for us in the Seth's weird stuff on the net this week? Well, this is actually a useful one. Uh, we ah, what are you doing? Useful. Come yeah, on. Yeah, well, you know, the weird stuff seems weirder if you throw in some useful stuff occasionally. So... You know, you always got to leave them wanting more. At least that's something I heard somebody in so show business quote one time. So uh, this is actually Sardu. We've talked about multi-boot uh, USB creators before, and this is just another one. Sardu, um, S-A-R-D-U-C-D dot I-T. You can go on and you can like, and so instead of having that spindle of uh, recovery CDs and utility things, you can have them all on one uh, USB keychain so i don't need the i won't need the eight i currently have i can just have one of them but i'll still keep the eight just because i'm weird like that so sardu dot sardu cd dot it has another option you know because sometimes xboot doesn't quite work the way i want it to and this is just another option for you See, I've never seen, maybe I just haven't been paying attention, I've never seen the option to create a multi-boot DVD. I've seen multi-boot USBs, but I like that idea. You've got, you know, seven and a half gigs to work with there. Right. Uh, you can have full-on distros uh, of, you know, two or three different things, uh, you know, 12 of them if they're puppy, uh, and, and all right there on one DVD. But, you yeah. know, instead of having a different, C, a different CD for all of the uh, antivirus rescue CDs that are out there, you know, you can have them all on the same thing. Uh, throw in some others like Ultimate Boot CD and things like that. And uh, anyway, it's just another option out there because I love choice. 
Plus, the, the install good. screen has a weird graphic of some kind of odd robot, and that's just cool. That's reason enough to use it. Definitely. I guess that's the Sardu. I don't know. It, it kind of looks like a Shogun warrior with holding symbols or something. Sort of, yeah. Or large man boobs. I, I don't know, but they're... <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm going down the, the bad road. I shouldn't do that. <laughs> down the gutter we go. <laughs> so, Jonathan, do you have anything that you'd like to share? Any link or tip that you'd like to share with the with the audience? A uh, program that I, uh, that I recommend is uh, Pigeon, P-I-D-G-I-N. It's pretty awesome. It does. It's the Swiss Army knife that does everything for me. I can do uh, instant messaging with it. I'm using Skype right now uh, with that because Skype is completely inaccessible also. But there's a Pigeon plugin that helps you work, use Skype. Uh, I can uh, use Twitter, Identica. You can do Facebook chat. It does a ton of different things all within Pigeon. So if you've never checked it out, I would check out Pigeon. I am a Pigeon fan. I'm using it right now. That's how I access the uh, chat room over at elementop.com. I've been, I didn't know it did all those things. Uh, I just know it does what I need it to do. Yeah, I love yeah, Pigeon. So- Pigeon's one of, it's my default IM client of choice. And what's great is you get the same interface across Windows, Mac, or Linux, and yep. that's, that's a wonderful thing. You don't have to, to change things up. You can take it anywhere with you, and there's even a portable version. So you're good to go. Or you can do what I do and cheat and put it in your Dropbox and then just hard link to the pigeon file in Dropbox. And then it's synced up no matter where you go. Huh. Yep. No, that's a geeky. So there you go. That's your tip of the week. That's a good one. It's not a command line, but that's okay. Oh, I use the command line to make the links. So does that work? (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Um, thanks for being uh, a, a guest, Jonathan, and for having such awesome things to say. Um, oh, I appreciate it. And thank you out there for being a listener and for sticking with us uh, this long. Uh, if you have questions for Jonathan, you don't have to send those through us. Go to his website. He's all over the net. Uh, but if you have any other comments or if you'd like to come on the show, if you've got a product or uh, or an event that you'd like to plug, we're so hard up, you know, we'll we'll take anybody. Just come and tell us about your, your cousin's bat mitzvah and, uh, and we'll do a whole show about it. Uh, you can do that over at elementop.com. Use the contact us button at the top of the page or send an email to edl at uh, elementop.com. Um, or you can uh, use the voicemail option. And again, I'd like to encourage you to send uh, a note of encouragement, some words of of um, well-wishing to our good friend, Mr. Former Fat Guy, Aaron Butler, again, also at 559-IAM-OPI. So uh, also the, we have the Google Plus community that's been up for a few weeks, and we've had some... some um, participation there and we appreciate that all ways that you can get a hold of us facebook twitter we're all over the place just uh, search for element op and you will find me there and and you can tell us what you what you want to see on the show as i've often often said this is listener programmed radio so uh, you you ask for it and we'll you'll get it maybe sometimes possibly if you feel like it <laughs> yeah. if it's something so, uh, we want to do uh i think I think that's it, folks. We're going to call it uh, quits and say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.